Hey, hey, this is Angel with Sex Talk. We are tonight sitting here with Mark Dorsey, our CEO from Alberta Sex Positive Education and Community Center. And we're going to be talking about sadism and all that sexiness that happens. Um, like I said, my name is Angel. This is Sex Talk, and we're on GTFO Radio. So, Mark, did you want to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm <clears throat> Mark Dorsey, CEO of Aspect. Uh, been with for about four years now and I think we tried to have me on the show previously but maybe <laughs> technical difficulties. Yeah we're starting to get our tech figured so that's pretty cool. Uh, Mark and I have been in a relationship now for going on seven years. Going on seven years holy crap I feel like there should be like a, a trophy or something for that and one of the things that we noticed right away is we started to explore um, sadomasochism is that there aren't very many resources out there that tell you how to navigate this in a way that makes it safe for everybody and healthy and how to some of the pitfalls to look out for. Um, what we did find is there's a lot of really interesting fiction out there. Um, I seem to recall that you got a lot of your information at first from a comic strip. Uh, sort of, yeah. Uh. <laughs> So when I met Angel, she was my corrupting influence, and um, I hadn't had an introduction to BDSM prior to that. So coming from a background where I was raised uh, not to hit women, that was a bit of a rough transition. Uh, when I was Googling for information online, I came across a Japanese comic called uh, Nana Tokaru. I highly recommend it. It is sexy as fuck. For, for the first 60 or so chapters, <laughs> then they go off, they, they kind of lose steam and it goes off the rails. But it, it was a good crash course for someone just getting into the lifestyle about um, things like power exchange, uh, exploring new types of play, um, things like, um, well, there was a lot of... Uh, not degradation, but I guess embarrassment play early on. And a lot of sensual humiliation. Yeah, yeah, sensual humiliation, there you go. And not a lot of sex. Um, if Actually, I don't think there was any sex for the first lengthy period. Because the characters are uh, teenagers in high school, so they kind of avoided that and just focused on the BDSM. And I didn't... I wasn't using it as a guidepost per se, to follow religiously, but it gave me a lot of ideas about um, types of play that weren't going to be too traumatizing to either one of us, and I'm still kind of offering this up. Well, I don't know. I mean, I had more BDSM experience, right? So I was trying to, one, teach from the bottom, which I really don't recommend for anybody out there who is a submissive or a bottom and they're just getting together with a new partner. Um, it's way easier to have somebody from the outside help to teach than it is to teach like you're while you're you know over someone's knee for example mm. but all my experience was spanking and what we had dove into somehow and I'm not even sure really how that happened is into more sadomasochistic play mm -hmm. like rather quickly actually and, or, and I'm not complaining at all I mean hot as hell um, and it was it was amazing and incredible, but like we were way over my head. We were certainly lacking in role models on how to mm. proceed while still taking care of one another. And I mean, the sex was mind blowing. We were having a wicked good time. 
But everybody that we turned to had some really either Gorian ideas about what SM looks like, or they were like more firmly into the whole Spanko thing rather than the the more um, diverse, I guess is the word I'm looking for, a more diverse uh, type of pain play. Yeah. And on top of that, I think a lot of the role models that we we had struggled with their own communication. Oh yeah. They struggled to recognize what they wanted too. Yeah. And I don't know, the idea kind of was you were supposed to just get hot and bothered the more hurt I was and I was supposed to be okay with that because I just wanted to please. Like that that was kind of like the culture, right? Certainly, um, yeah, there was there was kind of a blind leading the blind or blind mentoring the blind, I guess. <laughs> it was great fun. Oh yeah. In its own way. Um just thinking about when when we first started exploring and talking, like I seem to remember we had a conversation. I mean, one, I was hiding my bruises from you because you get really upset about the idea that you'd hurt me even though we had a lot of fun. Mm. So not exactly a healthy communication skill, but um, I mean, on my part, like that wasn't, in hindsight, that wasn't a very good way of, of addressing things. Yes, you were terrible. <laughs> hey now. I was the sadist, but you were the real mean one. I was the real mean one. Um, but I seem to recall um, as each having a real struggle to even verbalize the concerns we were having about what, what we were diving into. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, um, when I'm coming to the table with no experience and you've been doing this for 15 or so years, um, there's certainly uh, an imbalance of experience and mm -hmm. uh, that of course instills a lot of if not insecurity, I'm not sure what the operative word would be, but um, so it required a certain amount of bluffing on my part, and that, of course, does not lead to excellent, honest communication. And uh, on your part, because you were concerned about scaring me out of the lifestyle by showing me, you know, the uh, superficial damage I was doing to your bottom or whatnot. Um, I guess your communication was a little bit less than 100% honest at the time, too. Although we weren't being um, uh, self-destructive or, or, you know... No, God, no. ...overtly passive-aggressive or anything. But uh, it, it certainly made the initial few months a little <laughs> complicated. Although the sex, you have to admit, was pretty fucking awesome. No, I'm not arguing that. We were having a really good time. Yeah making all our mistakes. So I want to be really clear, it's not like, you know, anybody was grabbing two by fours and beating anybody or anything like that. Like, we're just talking biting and only on Thursdays. It's Wednesdays, damn it. Oh, I'm um, Just talking about spankings and biting and, you yeah. know, tossing each other around in bed sort of thing. Well, okay, I was being tossed and Mark was oh, yeah. doing the tossing. But it was very consensual and we talked about our limits and, I mean, that part we had down. Yeah, yeah. So well, lots of discussion, negotiation, hard limits, needs, wants, all that good stuff. Mm hmm But the the sadomasochism, I think, is really interesting in that, um, one, serial killers and stuff get that whole sadist label. So I think that a lot of times when you're using those words, like you kind of get a, an ick feeling. Like there's an ick factor there with the like, sadism, traditionally speaking, like from a psychological point of view, is not a healthy 
thing. No, no. Um, but from a sex point of view, it, they're, they're not interchangeable labels, even though it's the same word. Right. Right? And, um, well, I mean, there's sadism and masochism, and then there's sadomasochism, but they're really three different kind of approaches to the game. How so? Well, I mean, you've got your, your tops, your bottoms, and your switches, respectively. Right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, uh, a person can transition from one role to the other naturally, but um, I, I just, you don't really confuse you know, a sadist with a masochist or anything like that. It's um, very different roles of giving and receiving. Um, and of course, the giving and receiving really brings in the whole consensual nature of, of healthy BDSM. Whereas uh, a serial killer is generally not looking for consent. <laughs> True. And there, yeah, no, absolutely. But I mean, like that, I think that might muddy the waters when it comes time to like conversations if you don't have somebody kind of leading the way or someone you can go to for that information yeah well mentoring is a big part of BDSM um, and it's changed yeah I mean it's changed a lot um, yeah <laughs> I don't even know where to go with that I mean, well, we try to do some mentoring here and that kind of thing but um, it's just not as common anymore I don't think like people still look for mentors but yeah. it's hard to find people that are going to teach you the things without feeding off that new energy and well I, you know I look back on our mentors now and and I see there was some feeding on new energy there too we just weren't really aware of it because we didn't have perspective um, no and people weren't having that conversation in society so I don't think it was a matter of our mentors not knowing either I think it was a matter of those weren't conversations that were happening no like it, society's become more aware of those kind of things oh, but definitely, the definitely. yeah I want to kind of focus on, um, I want to bring the conversation into the ethics of it and not like the scientific, let's get a law book out sort of ethics, but that, that actual gut, I'm doing this in a way that's positive for everybody involved sort of ethics. Right. And that's kind of what you brought to the table, regardless of what kind of sex we were having. But that really became obvious when we started diving into the SM stuff. Mm. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Do you, do you think that's a fair statement? No, I, I would agree. And where did you pick up those kinds of sexual ethics from? Um. <laughs> well, without making this awkward, I would have to say from my family because um, they raised me to be ethical in a lot of different aspects of my life. So that just kind of naturally transitions into work or sex or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would have to say upbringing was a big part of it. That makes sense because there wasn't anybody to model that kind of consensual behavior around for me. Like mm -hmm. there were no healthy relationships to model things off of. Um, and that was really problematic when, when it came time to have relationships, but particularly around things that were a little less vanilla. Mm. Right? Like there was no, there wasn't anybody to have those conversations with it. Well, I mean, it's not like I ever had a conversation with my parents about the nature of a healthy S&M relationship, I assure you. <laughs> <laughs> Did not come up at Thanksgiving. <laughs> I just, just picture your family, oh my God. Oh, that would be terrible. That would. Um, but, well, yeah, I mean, it's, um, 
all, all depends on your role models, which, you know, traditionally, as we said, um, that is where the mentoring comes into the BDSM community, is you, you assume new role models in the people that you um, respect or begin to learn from. And that perspective can change over time. Like, uh, I know that some of the, the mentors we took on initially, uh, we moved away from later on, and that's just part of maturing as a person. Absolutely. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, family is, is not, um, not the perfect model for all <laughs> walks of life. But it is where we start to learn about what it looks like to navigate relationships with other people. Like that, we learn that at home first right. before anywhere else. Yeah. And uh, on that really weird note, <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's not weird and we shouldn't be weirded out about it, but it was just kind of a strange, strange spot to have to pause. When I come back, I would like it if you would talk about um, how you go about making sure that what you're doing is within your ethics when we're doing stuff. And then I'm going to share a couple things about me. Okay. Okay. Right. You're listening to Sex Talk. This is Angel from Alberta Sex Positive Education Community Center. I'm the president of this amazing organization and Mark is our CEO and we are talking about sadism and masochism as it pertains
GTFORadio.com Adult Entertainment 24-7 GTFORadio.com Servant 
kiss the boot of shiny, shiny leather. Shiny leather in the dark. Tongue of thongs, the belt that does await you. Strike, dear mistress, and cure his heart. Slightly, Severin, down on your bended knee. Taste the whip in love not given lightly. Taste the whip now, please for me. Hey, hey, this is Angel. We're back with Sex Talk. We're talking about sadism and all that fun, sexy stuff. I'm here with my partner and our CEO, uh, Mark Dorsey. We're chatting about sadism. Um, yeah, we were talking about ethics and like how that all plays in. And uh, I thought maybe you could lead us off. And what does that mean to you when we talk about ethical sadism? Well, um, ethical sadism for me has always been what allows me to explore um, that sort of play without feeling like I'm the uh, narcissistic sociopath <laughs> piece of garbage. Um, so, <clears throat> because as a yeah, as, as I mentioned, I mean, I was definitely raised with that whole um, old school mentality of you know you you don't hit a woman kind of thing and uh, all the other social baggage that came with that mindset. But one of the more positive aspects, you know, ideally you don't hit a man either, uh, unless <laughs> they're consenting to that and requesting it. We don't solve problems with our fists. No. Typically, no, we create problems. So um, for me, um, I mean, I, I enjoy um, sadistic activities because it allows me to exert control 
over someone else by uh, motivating them <laughs> with pain. And I get reactions out of people, so that's also that's setting off a lot of uh, happy feedback in my brain. Um, so those are all good things, but unless you're actually giving someone the sort of pain that they're they're looking for, and uh, that requires communication beforehand, mm-hmm. and um, you know negotiation and understanding where um, sadism and uh, reckless behavior uh, there's a cutoff. So I mean, someone might ask me for a cathartic beating where I'm leaving them in tears and emotional breakdown. But after we reach that point, I mean, A, I'm going to stop. I'm not just going to keep going. And B, um, I'm going to be rebuilding them after I've broken them down. So... Has I ever heard that rebuilding thing before used in a way where you tear somebody down so you can build them into what you want? Mm. Like the whole break them and rebuild them thing. Yeah, I only have experience doing that physically in terms of breaking someone down, like beating them to the point of tears and, and... Some more like release rather than destroying them. Yeah, I don't I don't do degradation play or um, or that sort of thing. So you know, um, usually when I'm calling someone a slut, it's affectionate. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not not saying oh you're a dirty little whore and in a way that that actually is hurtful. Everyone has their own kind of play, but for me that that's just not my thing. But afterwards, you know, telling a person that they are. You know they do matter and they are special and they're you know beautiful or intelligent or wonderful whatever it is that you need to remind someone that even though they've been through some very intense uh, physical and emotional sensations over the past hour or two that they are still a human being and they're not just a, a pile of quivering flesh and nerves that you've been you know unleashing your, your darker urges on but no, actually, uh, you know, a human being that you respect. And that, to me, um, would constitute the more ethical type of sadism because I'm still looking at them as a human. And um, some people, when you see them play, that's not always so evident. And, you know, that's not to try to sound judgy or not overtly so. But, I mean, we've seen some... Some... Pretty, great people and some not so great people. Yeah, and some some scenes that are have definitely gone wrong and then kept going because not only did the person doing the thing um, not have that ethical boundary to stay behind, but the people monitoring the space um, didn't know when to step in because that, I mean, our our what was negotiated for what was the limit, what is the, the safe word. I mean, those should be understood and known by everyone present, but that's not always the case. No, and that's, I mean, that's a really interesting point. And I really like the way you were describing that because um, like just today we were doing a beginners, BDSM, kink, welcome to the kink world sort of class. And one of the things we always touch on is that difference between BDSM and the Um, cycle of abuse and in the cycle of abuse like you're missing that communication you're missing that caring that everybody comes out of it feeling whole you're missing that debriefing you're missing the aftercare Um, even if the actions kind of look the same from the outside yeah 
And that is certainly something that I had to learn with you because <laughs> this is this is kind of funny um, thing looking backwards. But like I remember how hard you had to work to bring that completely honest and open communication into the relationship when it came to that kind of sex play. Mm-hmm. And I kept waiting for that to be a trap because that's definitely how that communication works in, in other circles, right? But when we watched, I mean, I know the scene that you're talking about and there were a lot of problems there. Like one, the person who was topping, I, I really don't believe that they went into that with the idea that it needed to be good for the other person, No, for one. Like, it, it, they made it pretty clear that this was about them being able to do the things they wanted to do, regardless of what someone else wanted. I, I think the good for the other person in their mind was, this, this person gets to play with me, so that's good <laughs> enough. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, no, I'm laughing, but it really wasn't funny. No. And they did negotiate for consensual non-consent, which, um, if anybody's not familiar with what that means, it means you get to fight and yell no and and whatever, but you've agreed to that beforehand. So everything they did was within the boundaries of what had been verbally agreed upon. Um, However, something went wrong in the middle of the scene, and the body language changed, and the top just kept going. Letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I mean, well, I don't like the concept, but I, I like the, I like, yeah, no, I like the way you're phrasing that. That is, um, yeah, I mean, it was that whole, they didn't call red, mm. right? They didn't say no. I mean, oh, their no. body said no. Oh, yeah, and they, they, were, they went nonverbal. That was, <laughs> that was not, they didn't call red. That was, they stopped communicating with the outside world because they had to retreat into a tiny safe space. And that was a bad scene. Yeah, no, that wasn't very, very cool. Mm. Um, I know that we ran into that a couple of times where the body language changed or the verbal sounds changed. And yes. you would stop and and check in. And maybe sometimes it took a second to stop and check in because, I mean, you're, you're in there just as high as I am when we're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to be clear to anyone listening that's not high on drugs. That's no. just high on the play. Um, High on the activity. Adrenaline, dopamine, and serotonin, and all that. Wow. Self-manufactured drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but I think, I think it's really important to recognize that when you're playing with pain from the bottom or the top, that it can be really easy to fall into some of those traps that can create something really unhealthy. Um, Things like you're supposed to push past it even when it doesn't feel like it's a good thing for you. Right. Um, things like the whole point of being a sadist is to hurt people, mm. not hurt people who get sexual gratification from being that kind of hurt. Right. Right? Like it's. Well, I mean, that's. Yeah, that's definitely kind of a, a misconception. I guess what really helped me was. Um, actually reading about some of the uh, uh, sadistic examples of um, what can go on in certain countries when there is a uh, insurgency or revolution. And, um, it was a South American country and basically um, the interrogation techniques that were described in an article I was reading would it not have been out of place in one of our dungeons. It was 
um, people were being uh, tied down to like a metal bed frame. Um, their genitals were being oiled and <laughs> metal sounds were being inserted into their urethra and then electricity was run through the bed. This sounds like a good time. <laughs> In the context of consensual play with self-control being practiced by the tops. Yeah, but this, I mean, you know, it, it was, it was obviously, um, not such a good time for the people on the, uh, the receiving end. And um, I, I think that sort of example of what we do can be a terrible thing if it's done without consent and without limits. And we, we as the people doing the thing, uh, have to secure that consent and then we have to observe those limits. And even if you're um, testing someone's um, ability to, you know, process process pain or stimuli of whatever kind, you're not saying, well, you know, I know I agreed to this, but fuck it, I'm having a good time. So, you know, they're going to get both <laughs> barrels now. It's like, you don't, you don't play that way and get many repeat playmates. At least not healthy ones. No. Okay, well, we're sitting here now about ready for a break. So I'm going to pop some tunes on for you. This is Angel and Mark at Alberta Sex Positive Education Community Centre. And we're talking about sadism. And when, we're gonna, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about why sexual sadism is, I think, one of the sexiest out there. So... Control of you. I love the way you 
Hey, this is Angel with Sex Talk. I'm sitting here with Mark. We're talking about sadism and all that good fun stuff. We were talking a little bit about what makes um, what makes an ethical sadist, mm. and I think we pretty much agree it's communication and you know just care of the other person, um, which sounds like really simple things, but it gets to be really complicated when you try to put it in practice, which it shouldn't be. But it is. Mm. I mean, it's just one of those things. Um, but I wanted to kind of steer us towards something a little more upbeat and positive and talk about... <laughs> if you can hear the sounds in the background, I think there's a lot of sadists here tonight. They're prepping for a dungeon, so we apologize for any background noise. But talk about um, why sexual sadism is so much fun and uh, you know what the, what the benefit is if it's not just to have your wicked way with somebody regardless of what they want. What do you get out of it? Ah, oh, well, I mean, um, for me, certainly, um, I view all topping as um, kind of uh, a form of service topping. And, I mean, I understand that's not necessarily a popular perspective. <laughs> but it's like, if I'm not giving someone what they want, then they're not going to come back, and I don't get to do the things I like to do. So, in a way, I mean, it doesn't matter how handsome or charismatic or how big your equipment is. I mean, after a certain point, people get tired of your shit and stop coming back. So eventually in order to have repeat play with you know one partner or a hundred partners you have to be giving those partners what they want and uh that you know that would be how i define that now what do you get out of it well i think that a lot of us um like some people get off on service and I, I think that this is a different way of approaching it because I don't, I don't enjoy uh, subservience, but I'm still delivering a service, so people appreciate that. And when, I love that you're referring to sexual sadism as a service. <laughs> Sign me the fuck up well, for that subscription. <laughs> exactly, that's it. A masochist will pursue that that service, quote unquote. But <laughs> I can already feel the hate mail coming in. <laughs> um, and the fan mail. Hopefully the fan mail too. Um, well, yeah, it's about perspective. And this was um, we when we did a presentation at a large BDSM event on ethical sadism. This there was a visible split in the audience. There was because we when we were presenting this sort of idea. That you know, um, it it is kind of it, it is a, it is a form of service, whether or not we really like to admit it. If you want to get repeat customers, you have to give them what they want. That's the basis of any exchange system, whether we're talking about capitalism or getting action or in the dungeon. Yeah, yeah it, it's it all comes down to that at the end of the day. And uh, yeah. Um, for, for someone who, who is sadistic and gets off on delivering pain to someone, um, you, you have to, well, you don't have to, but maybe you should consider it, you know, that, uh, that yeah, you, you do get people who are very happy with their experiences 
when you're giving them what they want without pushing their limits or, or you know, blurring the lines or doing a bait and switch. Like, hey, now that you're all tied up and rope dopey, like, let me just slip a dick in you here for a while. Because that's cool, right? I mean, you're in the mood. I can tell. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. And I don't know, like, as a masochist and as somebody who explored all that masochism holding your hand, like, I super appreciate that attitude. And um, I, I know from talking to other people and from other scenes I've had with other people that we tend to gravitate towards others that have similar ideas, which means, you know, yay, more exploring without having to worry about that, that uh, bait and switch sort of thing happening or worry about somebody actually trying to push to a point where I can't come back. Right. Right. And for me, that has allowed play to go a lot deeper, like from a masochist point of view the the way you come at it creates this space that allows me to hand over more trust and to provide more vulnerability and to take those risks and i don't mean like the risks of actually physically being harmed but um the the risks of being that honest about the way my body feels and letting my body process really intense sensations and not being too scared to go there which, um, for anybody who hasn't explored any kind of masochistic sex, that's going to make zero sense to you. Um, but for those who have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That moment where you realize that you might be able to take this further, and it scares you a little bit, and you want to try, and if you're in the right situation with the right person, you can just let that go and see what happens. And trust that if it doesn't work out, you're both going to come out of it okay anyways, because it came from a place of good intentions and rather than a place of if I break you I can you know just go get a new one sort of thing Down um, at the Masso Mart yeah yeah at the Masso Mart I like that top shelf baby mm. um, and for me that has really led to a huge journey of self-discovery I mean I, I never would have considered myself a pain slut and um, definitely we discovered some of that together uh, I never would have thought I'd be interested in that kind of rolling on the floor, biting, you know, no holds barred sort of intimate react yet yeah, interaction, and yet, wow! I mean, that's been huge fun. So, um, for anybody out there that's listening and thinks this is a, a too fluffy of sadomasochism for them, you're really missing out. Um, <laughs> That's been an amazingly intense dive, or especially over the last couple of years as we really, really tried to uh, make room for each other to explore this. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and we, we've definitely seen um, the other uh, type of sadism, and, and not just, I mean, sociopathic, narcissistic tendencies, but people who are like, I'm here to, to fuck up sluts, and that's what I do, and, you know, whether that's genitals or you know degrading them and urinating on them afterwards whatever the case may be i mean nothing wrong with any of those practices as long as they're all consensual some people approach it though with the idea that if you agree to play with me you knew who i was when you agreed to that and you knew i was going to take it to a fucked up place and um these people can develop kind of a, a cult personality or, or celebrity following but when you actually see them, um, they they seem kind of lonely, and uh, you know it's like they got their fan clubs and they want they got people who want to play with them. 
But they have to be on all the time. They don't get to actually connect. And yeah, that's the thing. When, when you're not, I mean, when you when you're putting on this this front and you're not actually a sociopath, then you don't get to turn off and just be yourself. And because um, people are expecting that that character, that persona, and uh, yeah, you, you can't really be happy a hundred percent of the time, and you can't be something you're not a hundred percent of the time. Even if you enjoy doing it 50% of the time, the other 50% is going to suck. And I don't know what it's like for anybody else, but I know for me, the intimacy of sadomasochistic sex is so intense. Mm -hmm. And that, that has a lot to do with building that trust and coming out the other side still feeling like the relationship is good, the friendship is good, the respect's still there, the... And, and you went to all those dirty, dark places together and you helped each other come out the other side. Like, that is profound. Like, it's profound. And, I mean, your orgasms are pretty fantastic, too. Yeah, they're okay. <laughs> they're okay. Yeah, you know. yeah, all that fun stuff. This is um, Angel with Sex Talk. We're with Mark, who's also from Alberta Sex Positive Education and Community Center. We're talking about um, ethical sadism today. And in a couple of weeks here, we're going to be talking about some more sexy things. So check the website. We can listen to the podcast. Don't forget to check out our Patreon and all that good stuff. And I hope everybody has a really sec- good, sexy, um, sex-positive evening. Yeah, you can handle it. Shamika, Keisha.
fuck boys get no Soon as you go, the text that I write is gonna say oh, no. 